wait, introduction question. Do you want to do the song one or was that a joke? It was a joke, but we don't have another question. <laughs> um, well, the last time we did, what's your favorite color? So we don't really have to be like, good. <laughs> we also don't actually have to do these questions. We could yeah. do what 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 modern food do you want to exist in fa- Fantasy Tortal? That's pretty yeah. good. Oh, man. Oh, yes. Man. If you could go to Fantasy Tortal, what food would you impress them by inventing? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start the podcast. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Tordal Recall, the podcast where we reread Tamara Pierce books and yell about them. Uh, we are continuing our discussion about Lady Knight, which is the fourth book in The Protector of the Small Quartet. And don't know what... Four books is a quartet. I don't know that anyone else has ever called it that, but... um, And it was published in... I don't have my document up anymore. 20... 2002? 2002. 2002. Um, And my name is Grace, and my pronouns are she, her. And today our question is, if you could go go to Fantasy Tortal and invent one of our modern foods for them, uh, much as a mysterious person did with ramen in this book uh (laughs) what food would you invent to impress them uh and i think my answer um um i think my answer is maybe like i didn't really think it through tacos i like tacos i feel like those are impressive and also would be funny to hear someone describe in generic terms (laughs) Um. That's so true. <laughs> like a hard bread shell <laughs> that we filled with spiced meats. <laughs> um, great. Abby? Okay, I also have not thought of one yet. My name is Abby. My pronouns are she, her. The problem is that it has to be something... Oops. The problem is that... <laughs> I'm knocking my microphone. It's fine. <laughs> the problem is that it has to be something... That, uh, that, like, they have the ingredients for. Right. So my first thought was, like, chocolate chip cookies, but they don't have, like, baking stuff, probably, I assume. Unless it was, like, a yeast-based cookie, they probably have yeast. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm still working on it. I don't know. <laughs> cotton candy? Could they do cotton candy? I feel like we can make yeah. them do cotton candy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hi. I'm Amy. My pronouns are she, her. I'm between either a sweetened and salted paste made of nuts, a.k.a. peanut butter, or sweetened and uh, salted. grilled cheese and tomato soup. Ooh, that's a good one. That would be very weird to hear, like, to read a description of, like, a, you know, like, cheese between two pieces of bread and dipped in tomato soup. And, like, that, yeah, that's just a thing we have. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Shall um. we? I am Shelby, my pronouns are she, her, and I think mine would actually be very plausible, which is, um, fantasy (laughs) Pop-Tarts. Um, and in fact, if you would like a recipe for medieval fantasy Pop-Tarts, I recommend that Game of Thrones cookbook, because they basically have one. They have (laughs) Pop-Tarts? And it's very good, I've made it. Wait, does that mean that the Game of Thrones universe canonically has Pop-Tarts in it? (laughs) I mean, they don't call them Pop-Tarts, but they do call them, like breakfast buns filled with fruit and nuts or something. Okay, I believe that George R. R. Martin did that intentionally. 
I've never wanted to read Game of Thrones, but don't now read I do. Game of Thrones. Read the cookbook. The cookbook's <laughs> the best part. Okay. I will say that Game of Thrones has a lot of like fun, like. There's a time when they're they're like looking at old shields and it's like, oh, this old shield has a black bat on it and this old shield has a blue beetle on it. Although those weren't just superhero logos. <laughs> That's cute. That's referential. If I were writing fantasy series, I would be sneaky about it like that. Yeah. Um, I'm texting my roommate to buy me Pop-Tarts when they go to the store. <laughs> All right, yeah, this is Social Justice Corner. Um, impressively, it's somewhat less dicey than it has been in the past. Yeah, um, I would say so. I mean, yeah. obviously still some amount, but... Yeah. Right, and on the race front, it's mostly because we just didn't have many non-white people show up in this one, which is not, like, yeah, the best way to get rid ideal. of your racism. Yeah, exactly. Um. Like, I would... When I'm saying that, I'm realizing that, like, what does happen in this book is a lot of interactions with like class and classism and like mm-hmm. if you added race as an element you would expect that to be very intersectional and like just not having a diverse book is not a good way to get out of that <laughs> yeah okay. no so one thing i do want to talk about that does involve kind of an intersection of race and class is the fact that we do i think for the first time in this book get a slight clue um to a non American race, racial classification system. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was just really focused on this because I've had a couple conversations lately about the ways that fantasy books and sci-fi books tend to map our current conception of race onto wherever and whatever it is, even if that makes very, very little sense. Um, but in this book, we do get a mention um, a couple times of like whether... like. There's some conflicting evidence of whether the people in Northern Tortal consider there to be a racial or ethnic difference between them and Scarens. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, the point that was most striking to me in this one was um, Tobias, um, Toby, when he's talking about his existence in this town, saying something about like having the mark of Scanra upon him. Or something mm-hmm. like that, that really read to me as, like, people think of him as a different, as 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 an other, mm. because he has Scanran heritage. Um, which does seem to suggest a racial kind of classification that's different from one we've seen before, and one that's less in line with American race, but more in line with some of the racial classifications in medieval Europe. That right. there were distinctions within white Western Europeans. But yeah, right. I guess like we're assuming here that both northern, like most northern Tortolans and also Scannerans are like what Americans would consider white. We know that, that like Scannerans tend to be blonde. Mm-hmm. And I guess mm-hmm. we also know that um, when they're when they meet the smugglers later in the book, I believe they're living on the Tortolan side of the border. But Kel does like identify them as Scannerans. Which suggests that she, like, sees some ethnic difference there. Right. And I think it is, like, it's important to remember that when, we, when we've when we talked about race in the books, um, we've focused a lot on real-world analogs, but the way that race dynamics are represented within the world is also important to look at, even if it, like, there's separate implications. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't know if I'm conveying right. that very clearly, but there's separate implications for in-universe race dynamics, which are important to look at. And then separately, like, how does that correlate with real world and what implications does that have right. for how you're conveying things to the reader? Right. No, for example, it doesn't necessarily in any way excuse her from not having any people of color in this book to have a right. different racial dynamic. did want to mention, there is one person of color who I noticed in this book. Uh, there was one of the convict soldiers was a Bajir guy. And he died, and it was mentioned that he, quote, fought like a wolf. Cool. Um, so that's just con- very consistent yep. with the things she screws up earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but you were but saying, yeah. Shelby, that doesn't excuse but, her, but. Right, but nonetheless, like, I this is a thing that, like, barely comes up. And so also, to be clear, this is a thing that barely shows up in this book. I think it would have been worth it for her to spend a lot more time thinking about that because because well I I think it's very important to have to understand that racial classifications are not fixed and they're contextual mm-hmm. um but she like barely acknowledge even that one that she kind of suggests she like barely acknowledges in the rest of the book including relatively little time is spent thinking about the scanrins as people yeah and I almost wonder if she deliberately chose the Scanrans as the main villain or, like, main villain on a, like, country level of this series uh, because they're, like, you know, heavily coded as, like, white or, like, Vikings, basically. And then that means that she doesn't have to deal with the, like, stuff that she's dealt with in previous series. Right. Clearly Tortal doesn't really think of them that differently from how they think of, like, Karthak or whatever, but uh, outside of, in our universe, the meta narrative. Uh, <laughs> um, right. I yeah. I, I wonder if that was a choice that she made to not have the the villains be brown. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's very likely. Right. Um. And from like in a um, I, we're not in our authorial intent section, but from a little bit of a like, how do you make those choices lens? Like, I think that there's some good things to be said about realizing like, wow, maybe I'm not the most well-equipped to do this. I should step away. But that might mean that you're not doing justice to some, to some other parts of things that you could be conveying with complexity. Oh, I guess if yeah. we're just running down literally every non-white person in this book, we should mention that Seaver is established to also not be white. Mm-hmm. So that's two. Right. Which is like, that's not good. That's not a diverse betrayal. And it doesn't seem very realistic for like, a land that you've, like, pretty much established as being like, in close proximity to a lot of other places that like, you know, it's just not realistic for the world that you set up um, as an author. I'm not talking directly to Tamora Pierce. That's confrontational. I mean, like, <laughs> um, that's, if you were to set no, that up as an author, author, this we're would not We're going be back it. to pretending that she doesn't exist. Right. We're doing death of the author now. But it is such a, like, it's such a departure from Squire because Squire, you know, has all of these different women in it. I mean, also men, but, like, it, you know, it has not only people of color, but people of color from several different places. Right. Uh, and then this one is just like, mm, there's 
two Bajir people who each get like two lines, maybe, you know? Which I mean is partially, like, it's partially a questionable choice. It's also partially just, uh, we move around a lot less. Yeah. And yeah. we interact with a lot fewer people in this book. It is set in a very rural area, and she has some soldiers, and there probably could have been more diversity among them, but... Mostly, she's dealing with local people to one very specific area. I mean, okay, not to go back to this, because we did talk about it on the previous episode. There's no reason that Burry couldn't have been in this book. Right. <laughs> she's a commander <laughs> of a branch of the military. I mean, there's no reason that she couldn't have been in this book, and there's many, many reasons why she should have been in this book. Why isn't she yeah. in this book? And also, what if she didn't quit her job? Okay, I'm done. Thank you for saying what we were all thinking. You said you wouldn't yell anymore. I know, but I did yell a little bit, but it's yeah. fine. We can't, we can't no, not. It, you can't not. It was important yelling. It was, it was important yelling. Yeah. I'm still mad. Yeah, and I, I kind of stand by our decision that any episode on this book has to mention that at least once. Um, yeah. Yes. Seems reasonable. I don't know if I have anything super deep additionally to say on the topic of race that we haven't already done um i do think that it heavily intersects with the issue of class and also like slavery kind of which we see in this book yeah i think a lot of the um a lot of the class issues that we see in this book do kind of like verge on slavery because we have both indentured servitude and convict labor specifically convict labor in the army so these are convict soldiers which, like, ooh, wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before we, like, totally confront that, I wanted to note that, like, you know, Cal gets this command position because she's being recognized for being able to, like, really treat commoners with equality. And I'm not saying that that's wrong because we have seen good moments of that in Squire and in the earlier books as well. But I still think that Cal is kind of paternalistic towards, uh, the majority of people that are not nobles in her life and like, you know, that that totally is consistent throughout the books. And I like feel like her being recognized as this total like person of who's so like great at equality, like um, is not really acknowledging that or, you know, kind of flying in the face of, yeah, she's not great at it. She's still confronting it. Um, And I think that she works on it more in this book. And that work is important. Yeah. yeah, she definitely does do work on it. And she definitely does way better than most other nobles. But also often when she, I mean, I think probably less as this book goes on, because as this book goes on, there's more of like, these commoner girls want to fight at age 12. And she was fighting at age 12. And commoners are just as brave as nobles and that type of stuff, which yeah. is great. Um, although no one at age 12 should be fighting for their life. <laughs> um. Right. Yeah, I guess I just don't like it as like, I don't think that the one good noble is a good way to portray right. it. Well, and I also think that so often when she thinks about commoners, she does it. I mean, she's got this title protector of the small, but she also thinks of it like as sort of her responsibility as a noble to care for commoners, which is a very paternalistic way to look at it instead of just like, we're all people who should have rights. Which is true. I think I think this may be a moment to point out that yeah. this is a book of romantic fantasy sent in a feudal world, mm-hmm. and that is like feudal morality. Yeah. And like, but while you can definitely argue that feudal morality is not an appropriate <laughs> morality to be teaching children in the modern day, like, 
also you are writing a book about like people in a literal feudal system so like i think having a, a, a morality system that is set up slightly differently is not completely unreasonable no. right and i think it's interesting yeah but i i think that like it's it's not you know, I, I think it's true that, like, we don't have to do the whole, like, this book is bad because monarchy is bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think it's interesting to see that even when she's being set up as, like, oh, like, you really see commoners as equal. Right. And also, like, when over the pa- the course of the whole series, a big part of the series has been the system is bad, commoners deserve more rights. Right, yeah. It's still, she hasn't fully examined this about herself, even as an adult. Right. I think that's part of my issue with it is, like, I totally recognize what you're saying, Shelby, that there is, like, a complete different system. We can't totally apply our values to it. Um, but I do think that, you know, if you're going to put in this work to really have some of the morals of the series be like, these people need rights and, um, like, they should also get attention paid to their agency. So can we talk about convicts, please? <laughs> yep, go. Okay, so there's convicts in this. And some of them are in the military. Not by choice. So, right. I mean, they suggest that they... I think at some point it's implied that they might have the choice between, like, hard labor in mines and the military. But that's not a real choice. Is that technically a choice? I mean, right. I I feel like it's very akin to, uh, you know, underprivileged youth in our society who go into the military because it's literally the only way they could possibly like go to college you know i mean obviously it's worse than that because they're actual convicts so like they really don't have a choice but it's not a good choice i'm just saying (laughs) that's my point i guess (laughs) um not like not it's a bad choice on their part it's a bad choice they're being offered yes it's a bad choice they're being offered and it is a bad thing that Tortal is doing that they don't seem to care about. I mean, I'm glad that Kel sort of gets to a point in this book where she thinks, like, oh, the convict should be treated well. But I don't think she ever thinks, maybe we shouldn't send people to die in our wars just because <laughs> they, like, stole something. <laughs> and also, they they pardoned the convicts that went on the dangerous suicide mission that they didn't have to go on, but that's like a high bar to get pardoned. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like if you if you accept that you'll probably die, if you don't die, then Right. Well, also, especially like, given that actually when they did that, they were technically breaking orders and deserting and could have been killed. Right. They right. You have to yeah. go on a mission to desert, <laughs> but then you're the knights that were in charge of the mission get pardoned, so you also get pardoned. Like <laughs> also, like no, my no one gets pardoned for mining, and that is also deadly. Nope. Yeah, and and that's also like important serving work. the realm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Well, and it's it is established in the previous book that most of those people die before serving out their sentences. So that's just a bad system all around. It really yeah. is, and like it's like valuing different kinds of labor too, like mining and fighting. Yeah, like we. We overvalue the labor that goes into the military-industrial complex. Oh, mm-hmm. we do. Like, uh, that was kind of what I was trying to figure out how to say, and you said it so much better yeah. than me, so I was impressed. <laughs> I also feel like just, you know, because this is who we are, I feel like we would be remiss if I didn't point out that uh, slavery is illegal in the United States except for convicts, and we don't pay them, and they do work, and that's a thing that's happening in our society currently, so. Yep. Right, I guess I, I also did want to mention that uh tobe is that what we're going with <laughs> toby. toby toby okay toby. 
I think we're going with a, it's a, it's like a free for all and you get to say what Great. you want kind of. Okay, thing. well as a child I always read it as tome. Yeah, um yeah, like not that this works for English, but it's spelled the same as robe and you say that robe. So maybe it's tome. Yeah, I think so. That's my personal that's a valid interpretation. Also, that's a also Toby is a name. Of, of to- Tobias, like that's yeah. his name. He could be But Toby. also Toby is a name. So really either. Whatever you really? feel in your heart. I would really <laughs> enjoy fine. it if we pr- pronounced it differently. So I would like <laughs> I feel like that's what we often do on this podcast. Anyway, that kid is an indentured <laughs> servant. Um yeah. Kel bought out his contract, but as far as I know, she didn't actually like free him. Yeah. So he's still like yeah, bound to serve her for four years. Which, like, I recognize that historically indentured servitude is not the same thing as slavery, but it's also not very far away from slavery. So that's, like, a thing that's in Tortal. So, yes, that's true. We have very few examples of indentured servitude in this world, yeah. and it's somewhat unclear how it works as a general, general principle. But the other thing I think we need to consider with Toby... Who I'm calling Toby, <laughs> yep. uh, is that uh, he's also a kid, right? And so we have a very modern conception of what happens to kids without parents. Right. Um, which is, you know, various parts of the social safety net, adoption, fostering, whatever. In history, what happens to Toby is like, in many times, specific times and places, obviously there's lots of variation, not far off the mark of what kind of, like, the standard thing is. That, like, you get adopted, but you also work, mm-hmm. and it's kind of this middle place between adoption and indentured servitude. Um, that I'm wondering if that's kind of what she was going for um, on, like, a world-building level. Um, I also think it's interesting, so there's, like, the world-building level, there's also the question of, like, Kel is in this situation, and what is she doing? I read a lot of her thing as, like, A, probably that's her context, that, like, there's no mechanism, and there really wasn't a lot of the time to, like, necessarily actually adopt someone in a way where they became your family. Right. But there were these other mechanisms that you could take someone under your protection- Point of order, Alana does get adopted. Right, yeah. Also, I was going to say, Alana gets adopted. Within the context, uh, she's, yes, she is an adult, though, and they're all both nobles, and that's yeah. a very legal contract in a way that I'm not sure would ever have, not that it wouldn't necessarily legally be possible for Kel, but that it may not have any precedent in her mind. Well, I can also see that she wouldn't want to immediately adopt this kid upon meeting him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, so I think that it's very likely that Kel saw this as, like, this indentured servitude as a mechanism by which he was legally her charge, and so she was viewing it as much as, this is how I can take him into my household and care for him, mm-hmm. as anything else. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fairly sure that is how Kel was viewing it, and also yeah. just, like, generally, this is the legal mechanism by which I get him away from the person who is abusing him. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah, that's good, but right, like, yeah, more, I guess I'm more interested in like the um, the larger social context for this and how it relates to like hi- the historical concept of indentured servitude. Right, right, because we have very little idea. Yeah, like we never see another indentured servant. Right, exactly. Right. But we also don't see other adoptions. So I think Shelby, that you're saying, oh, this is 
probably how Cal views that. And I don't think we actually know that that's probably how Cal views that, you know? I we don't think we know. do know that she views this as a way to get him under her protection. Yeah. Well, especially because Kel has done this before. Like, this right. is what Kel did with Alalasa. Yeah. Was, like, hired her as a way to protect her, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just that yeah. Lalasa wasn't bound by contract for four years. Right. And there's still, like, there's still ways within... I mean, like, I don't think we know that Cal views this exactly as, like, this is how adoption happens. There might be other no. ways that adoption happens in Tortal that we don't know would align exactly with historical context, you know? Yeah. Right. That's true. But I think we do have, ev- like, I, all I'm saying is that from what evidence I see in this book, it seems like they lack, much like our world did, any kind <laughs> of actual social safety net for yeah. ab- orphaned children, um, because we see no evidence of any despite encountering many orphaned children. Um, <laughs> actually, a shocking number of orphaned children <laughs> really in this book. But, uh, but that it seems likely, given that, and given that we knew, know that prior to the intervention of Kel, Toby was already put as an indentured servant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point you bring up, actually, that, like, um... I like I think it's entirely possible that if there's a like an orphaned kid that no one has a particular claim to that like selling them as an indentured servant would be a standard way for that, their society to deal with that. Um it is an interesting point that we do see many other orphaned children in this book and none of them are explicitly noted to be indentured servants. Right. And maybe that's because it's during war time so like we don't know what the system is because the system clearly isn't functioning yeah so they just like live in the refugee camp but like who's taking care of them yeah because too like toby's still clearly i mean he is a child you know so there's there's like the system that might be in the book the system that is in the real world and then also like you know could more have been done for him Mm -hmm. yeah well right and like what is happening to the other children right but also I don't think it's necessarily the response like I don't think it necessarily makes it a better book if there's a better social safety net no no of course not but I think that's we're just saying that that's something that's not addressed in this book and I would be curious to know about it yeah exactly and also like I think it's not Kel's responsibility to create that but at the same time it's not Kel's responsibility to care for a child so I personally would have (laughs) felt a lot more calm overall if she had just found a nice family in a village that was like oh we've always wanted a son like, right, she just keeps bringing him further and further into war zones. Yeah, exactly. And I just wish that that had not happened. Like, I'm not saying that she needs to invent foster care. I'm saying that she could have not brought a child into a war zone. Yeah, it's a kind of scary place to bring a kid. Well, it's one of the many things that made this book scary. Yes. As, as a kid and as an adult. Yeah, definitely. I also wanted, yeah. this is just kind of like a wacky thing that I don't really think that they meant this way. But I do think that it was funny um, that... You know, Kel was all like, oh, I need to show that I'm one of them, so I'm going to sign up for all the the chores of, like, latrine cleaning and stuff. And then she mentions that, like, whenever she was doing a chore, Tobe was also there helping her. (laughs) So, like, she brought her servant to do chores with her. Like, I don't think she meant to, but that is what she did. Yes. Well, the thing is, it's really hard to be a working mother. You can't always get (laughs) childcare. Yeah, it's true. So true. 
I don't want to pivot too far away, but every time that someone called Kel mother, even though they all call each other mother, I'm just like, excuse me, you are going to respect her. She was a commander. Yeah, I had a little bit of that too. Yes. I had that reaction every time one of her friends called her that, but let us know, there was a moment when Toby calls her mother and I was like, oh my God, my heart is exploding. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. cute. Also, right, I as I mentioned at some point, uh, someone in the camp also did refer to Neil as grandma. Um, <laughs> That's very good. He's yeah. not even going to get called mother. This is worse. No. no. <laughs> Kel is mother, Neil is grandma. Does that mean that Kel is... Whatever. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean... Okay. Have we, have we moved... Are we ready to move on to a different part of Social Justice Corner? Probably. So, Amy, you had a point about Wilden? Oh, yes, this is about um, Wilden's, like, quote-unquote, redemption. We're supposed to think Wilden's a good guy now because he's really accepting Kel, but I think that what's actually happening is we're being asked to sort of apply moral licensing to Wilden. Like, because he accepted Kel, the best knight of all time, <laughs> we should assume that, like, he is a good person, even though if another female knight were to join, would he give her the same respect that he would give, like, other male knights at this point? And, like... That is a question that we are not asked again. That is a question that we do not have answers to. We're just supposed to assume that he's reformed because Kel proved herself over and over as literally the best knight. <laughs> not the best, like, female knight. Not a good knight. The, the best, best knight. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's true. I think, I like, I, I agree with your point overall. The only thing I'd poke back at is that there were moments in the last book where he, like, very specifically did go, like, oh, I screwed up. Mm. Like, oh, I messed up with you, and I messed up with Joran. Um, so, like, I don't think that's necessarily enough to redeem him, but I do think that that's why we're supposed to have redeemed him, specifically. Sure. Yeah. Right, I mean, he gives an apology in Squire. He also says several times in Squire, I wish you had been born a boy. Yeah. So that, yeah. like, right. really suggests that he hasn't changed his opinions on women, he's changed his opinions on Kel. Right. Yes. Yeah. And we are supposed to, like, we are supposed to think that he is a good person because he was able to license, like, specifically allow Kel into this inner circle. Right. Je but it's, he's only had to do it for Kel. And, like, Joran died. Right. Like, Joran just straight up died. So he never really had to reckon with that. And he's not shown really reckoning with anything else. And, like, he did apologize. You're right. right. Like, he did, like, say, I acknowledge his wrongdoing. But acknowledging your wrongdoing in one case is not necessarily becoming a better person. Nope. And don't you think that part of why he makes that apology is he's like, now that those actions have, uh, I see that those actions have impacted Cal. And now that I see Cal as a worthy person, I realize that they were wrong. Instead mm -hmm. of just like, I was wrong and people shouldn't get treated this way or women shouldn't get treated this way. It's like, yeah. well, now I really see the worth in Cal. So these bad things shouldn't have happened to her instead of just like, I'm a better person and I realize that these things were wrong. <laughs> I yes, mean, I think that's actually up for debate. Like, once again, I don't actually think that Wilden necessarily should have been redeemed as much as the narrative acts like he was. However, I think, I'm not sure I agree with you on that point because I do think it's, he specifically says, like, my worldview as a training master was wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's why I had three mm -hmm. separate failures. And that it's like, it was a problem with my worldview. I don't think that means that we have evidence that his current worldview is, is better. 
better or sufficient. Yeah. 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 Um, I also think that, like, something that we should... Sorry, I may have... No, I'm done. I also think that's something that we should acknowledge is that it this kind of mindset is often used. The, I, like, I respect this woman, yes. woman, and therefore I am not bigoted. Right. Yeah. And that's what moral <laughs> licensing is, and we're supposed to apply it to someone else here, and I find that interesting. Yeah, and I do think that, I mean... Um, I see that point you're making, Shelby, but I think that the apology is, like, still part of that moral licensing thing, even if he has been led to change. Right. No, I, I once again, I'm not actually arguing for yeah. Wilden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I always am afraid that people will think that you're arguing for Wilden, but you're not. <laughs> I, no, I'm not. Just like everyone thinks that I'm arguing against Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, We're just trying to sh- put everything on the table here. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Including I, I, Maricate. This right. is a, a kind of a question that I have for you guys, actually. Um, I don't from I don't know this word very well, but um in the context of this book, I feel like the word chit is used as an insult for women, and that is a thing that Wilden calls Kel, and not to her face, but like in his narration. Um, it's a pretty archaic word, and I don't know if anyone in the modern era really has, like, a good handle on the connotation, <laughs> but in this book, it seemed like it was used insultingly. Yeah, I think you're right that the other times we see it, it's not, it's at least not yeah. complimentary. Like, so when I looked it up mm-hmm. just now, um, <laughs> the, uh, um, definition from some random dictionary that Google brought up. Merriam-Webster. <laughs> Arguably the least random dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a young woman regarded with disapproval for her immaturity or lack of respect, which is like clearly an insult, a gendered insult, although not as bad as I actually expected it to be. Yes. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, True. it's like infantilizing someone. It's but infantilizing, not in- but not like... Not in a weird sexual way. Right. Not in a weird sexual way, but which is, is what I was thinking. It is also clearly, I think it, it does come up as gendered, so I, I yeah. think that it's important oh, to it's bring Oh, it's definitely gendered. Yeah. And, oh, it's specifically by the And also, too. this is a yeah. book that, like, for the most part, really just implies that sex exists and, like, never, you know, even though, like, sex is definitely happening. Right. But, like, the other time, um, it's, like, the... Um, the man who's kind of like, I can't believe you're in charge of this camp, but he's like, right, um, I will not be governed by a shameless girl, a chit who's no better than she's than sure. she ought to be. So yeah, in, in that case, it is used in a weird sexual context, and then Wilden also uses that same word. Bad. He's a bad guy. Not into him. Hmm. Um, yeah, this is an anti-Wilden podcast. <laughs> So are we moving on to the uh, next militarism yes. thing, yeah. which is more about militarism? Yeah. Um, next militarism which was, section. Um, more. Okay. <laughs> um, so the thing I love about this book, which to be fair, I do not think we have addressed sufficiently positively yet, <laughs> is the fact that this book is set in a refugee camp. Yeah. And like, that's amazing, especially when you think about modern day but also literally every other point in history when refugees have not been treated as well as they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it builds um, sympathy for displaced people um, and that it really emphasizes the fact that, like, even, quote-unquote, even if you're in the right in the war, which we'll get into more, um, <laughs> you are still responsible for those refugees right. that you create mm-hmm. is very important. Um but I find it really interesting that this book, which is mostly about the civilian toll of war, 
does not really address at all the other common critique of war, which is that it's generally not for good reasons and generally involves demonizing the other group in a way and, like, generally hurts the other side as much as it hurts you. Like, there is no redeeming of Scanra in this book at all. Like, they enslave the souls of children (laughs) and they're just evil. To be fair, like... The guy who actually does the enslaving the souls of children is not even Scanran. He's not actually even Scanran. Um, but it, I find it really interesting that there's no attempt to build sympathy for Scanrans in here. Even mm-hmm. though, like, there are, like, brief moments where they mention, like, oh, Scanrans are really poor and maybe can't feed themselves yeah. with the land that they have. Right. But, like, it's never, it's always pretty much indicated, like, they're the aggressors, they're in the wrong. Mm-hmm. And, like... And I thought it was very convenient that at some point early on in the book, there's like a tossed off line saying um, that they that when they win a battle, they end up killing a lot of the surviving Scanrans because the Scanrans would rather die than become prisoners, which uh-huh. means that they don't have a lot of Scanran prisoners around that they have to worry about. They just kill them. And it's fine because that's what they want. <laughs> yeah, seems convenient. Right. And, and, and like, yeah, so once again, like, I'm not sure this is like a major fault of the book for one because i'm not a hundred percent convinced that they could do justice to the refugee plot line which i think is much more underserved there are actually a fair amount of fantasy books that deal with the fact that like war is messy and both sides are often in the Mm -hmm. wrong and like that's actually a much more common plot line than hey let's set a book in a refugee (laughs) camp um so i would much rather have this book than a book that spent a lot of time on that Um, but i did find it interesting that it was pretty much a trade-off. You just didn't get that. Mm-hmm. I think what, what you did get, which is interesting, is that one of the convict soldiers was a former bandit who knew who met Kel as a page when they were fighting on opposite sides um, and is now a convict in the Tortolan army due to the fact that he was a bandit because he didn't have food and was stealing stuff from people. <laughs> so you do get that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, which... Uh, I'm just, I'm upset about, like, everyone in Tortal. They yeah. need more I mean, resources. It should be noted, the other thing I didn't bring up was that they didn't also uh, address, um, they, they're sorry, that they did have um, the town, uh-huh. the townspeople of that one town yeah. uh, that was Magger's, like, home thief mm-hmm. uh, did get to be around and be like, oh, actually, there are civilians on the other side, and they're also getting screwed over. Um, and they're just gonna get a come to Tortol now. But right, only if they're explicitly, they're very disloyal to Scanra, so yeah. that's, like, why they're cool. Yeah, they're cool, right. and we get to acknowledge that war is also hard for them, because they're yeah. disloyal to Scanra. <laughs> the reason why the kids are getting kidnapped is to fight Tortol, and is to stop Tortol from attacking Scanra in, like, return. I mean, like, yes, it's seen as much more uh, the situation but like i would i just feel like that's that's a viewpoint that we like that's uh, well, a possible viewpoint to be fair i think we actually do know that this is for much for the most part like there is a border like we don't know much about the history of this boundary dispute what we do know seems to suggest that the scanrans don't have like ancestral claim to this land they are they are invading tortal mm-hmm. um and the as the lines are currently drawn on the map that we have from tortolans right which we know that tortal is an empire but <laughs> yeah we're learning about it from tortolans and all borders are fake right we only have the tortolan viewpoint here i'm um, talking about potential civilian perspectives mm-hmm. yeah right we don't we just we yeah we don't really know their 
civilian Yeah, we don't yeah. really get that. It would be nice to have yeah. more of it, I think is kind of like a, an important mm-hmm. point. Yeah, it would be nice to have more of it, but not if it gets rid of my nice refugee plot, because yeah. I really, right. really love that. Yeah. But I also don't think they're incompatible. Like, as for being in a refugee plot, we, like, hear from fairly few refugees, you know? Or we, we hear, hear from, from some of them, but there could be even more. Yeah, I will say that, like, I I was surprised when I was reading this book that the attack on Haven came so early because a lot of what I remember about this book is the refugee part. And after that, it becomes a sort of much less complicated story of just like, gotta go save these people, gotta kill literally every scanner we run into because that's the only <laughs> option. Um, mm-hmm. Gotta go on a fun secret mission adventure, whatever, you know. And it, I think it becomes a lot less complicated when the part, I mean, I know that's what the kids are into. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to say that this kid's book should be all about the complexities of running a refugee camp. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but I was, I, I, I liked the refugee part and I was kind of disappointed when it shifted into being more straight action. Right. I liked the refugee part as well. Um, it's a good part of this book. And it's unique. Like you were saying, yeah. Shelby, it's unique. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah, that's what I love about this book is that yeah, I I don't know that I've ever seen another plotline that that focuses yeah on that specifically. Yeah, it's really cool. Cool. All right, Amy, you wanted to make a point about our uh, queer characters, so this is social justice corner queer edition. All right, so I've got good news and bad news. <laughs> good news, canon queer character. There's a queer character. Bad. <laughs> yeah, bad news. He did die <laughs> off screen before we were introduced to him yep. in the canon and then d- and died closeted to everyone but Kel and his lover Aww. and Kel was not supposed to know. Aww. So So that's representation. <laughs> <laughs> that's representation? Wait, I read this book really fast and I literally don't know what you guys are referring to. Can you explain, please? <laughs> so you know how everyone dies in this book? <laughs> yeah, I do know that part. Um, and you know the part where Kel's just like looking at the corpses and being like, here's a one sentence of their history. Mm. Here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Oh no, the cook is dead. I liked him and we also knew who he was. Oh, here's a person <laughs> who we didn't know who they were. Well, this one, let me tell you about him. Every woman was very attractive to this All handsome right. man. But as it turns out kel i kel saw him on a moonlit walk with his male lover and but he's dead now and i wasn't supposed to know about that yeah yeah and that's you know you know we got one gotta get characters (laughs) well okay that is like number three or something in terms of mentions of gay people existing pretty real that's a <laughs> real gay character i guess that that might is that is that actually true is that the first actually gay character that we've gotten i honestly think it is as opposed to like people thinking a character is gay i mean tom but that was like that's uh yeah. that's word of that's god that's extra canonical yeah that's word of god and and likewise lalasa and... yeah exactly like both tom and roger as word yeah of god. right there's a fair amount of word of god but i mean lalasa and tian which i know for sure um. <laughs> okay, right, but let's be clear to our listeners here that we are talking about, like, a combination of headcanons and word of God here, and in terms of, like, actual text... I just want them to know that we are both mad at not having enough in uh, textual queer representation, slash this is our first textual queer representation, um, but we have not let go of our collective strong headcanon that no one in Tartal is straight except John. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. But right, I, I do think that it bears noting that... 
yeah, this is this guy. He's the one. <laughs> He's the one. It's him. He's dead. <laughs> got, got him. Got him. Yeah. And, like, he died closeted and also, like, was sort of outed by the narrative. But, I, like, I guess it's important that we know he was gay. I mean, I like, I guess it's important that we know someone's gay. I don't think he was outed by the narrative because the only people he was outed to were us. Right. Yeah, I just wish that we had known that before he died. I mean, it would have been nice to know he existed before he died. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Like, I would, I, yeah, but you know, we got one, and that's good. Yeah, it really seems like there were so many, like, the cook guy. We did hear about the cook guy before. We could have heard about the gay guy before he died. I don't know if that would have been better, because he still would have died, but it would have been it would have been more than one line dedicated to him. It'll be a little bit, it would be a little bit better. Yeah. I think that he would have been able to be a character if we saw him before he died, but as it is, he's like a dead body that could have been a character once. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> Fair. Great. But I, I really need to stop saying great sarcastically on this podcast. I want to be clear that if something, if we're talking about something bad and I say great, I don't mean that it's great. <laughs> yeah, I also am a nervous laugher. So sometimes you'll hear me laughing at things that are very upsetting. And yeah. it's, I don't think they're funny. No. It's pretty bad. Uh, yeah. <sighs> don't worry. We haven't stopped yelling about non-textual queer characters <laughs> because time to pierce the veil welcome to our entire section that's that <laughs> um yeah we have you know we try and keep the author dead we try and have a dead we author fail we're, so we're often, not good constantly. at it but this is when we specifically talk about authorial intent piercing the veil mm -hmm. go okay right so what we specifically want to talk about in this section uh, that people have been talking to us on social media about for a while, and also, we like, some of us may have known it in advance, but we didn't bring it up on the podcast because we are waiting for this section right here, right now. Because we're great at secrets. <laughs> I guess. It's not really, is it a, if it's a word of God, is it a secret? I don't know. I guess it's a secret in terms of, like, romantic endgame potential, whatever. Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> I'm not actually sure, because uh, I haven't actually looked this up recently, um... Tamara Pierce has either said that she thinks of Kel as aromantic or asexual or both, but I'm not sure which one or if she's made a distinction between those I'm two. I'm pretty sure it's aromantic, but I'm Googling it because it seems like we should actually know that for this section. I mean, she's definitely said that, that romance is not important to Kel, but maybe also that she's as asexual. Okay, I got it. <laughs> um, this is on an FAQ on her website. It says, what's Kel's sexuality? Does she ever have a romance with Dom? Um... And then it's fairly long, <laughs> um, but the part, so it says things like, um, while I've been thinking Kel has been living her life, while she's been doing all the work, we've both discovered that she doesn't really have time for or interest in romance. Her inclination for it has faded as time goes on, and I've come to understand that she may in fact simply be uninterested in romance. She is now anyway. Kel has come to a space in her life where she finds that she's not interested in romantic or physical relationships with anyone. Friendships, yes, she thrives on friendships and family-type relationships, but romantic ones leave her feeling confused. And the older Kel gets, the messier it all seems she may have enjoyed kissing well enough when she did it, but lately, whenever the thought occurs to her, it's outweighed by all the other things she could be doing with her time, <laughs> and the interest fades soon enough. In short, Kel is both aromantic and asexual. Okay. Okay. Cool. Thank you for finding that, Shelby. Yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> right, so I think, like... I mean, I, I'm all for this reading of Kel as Arrow Ace. Um, I think that there is, like, some level of 
you know, th- there's some level of indication in the text that, like, romance is not her top priority. It's not something that she's interested in long term. Mm-hmm. But there are also things where she says, like, oh, like, I, she wants love and children someday. So it's, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think that you can say that these books are written as though Kel is ace. Like, I think that's clearly no. something that was added. Right. Uh, Dumbledore style. <laughs> like, like, there are plenty of examples in our modern world of authors retconning yeah. sexualities onto yeah. their characters and claiming they were there all along. And they are often frustrating. This one actually drives me more nuts than, like, most of them. Um... Because, like, I would be had like, and once again, like, as Abby said, this is not to discount anyone's headcanons for Cal mm-hmm. as being Arrow Ace. Like, go, do that reading. I love it. But. Including Tamara Pierce's headcanons? Is that how we're talking about it? Right. <laughs> yeah, so she can have headcanons. <laughs> she can have this headcanon if she wants. Um, And once again, like, I don't, like, the way she describes it is, like, a fine story. Mm-hmm. And, like. I, sexuality and roman- romantic attraction are complicated and they can change. I'm like, I don't want to any like anyone to think I'm discounting any of that when I say this, but like it frustrates me so much that she's trying to say this after the fact when Kel in the books very, very distinctly articulates both romantic and sexual attraction and like says it on the page and distinguishes it from friendship and like says like for example, um, um, for the one that uh, Abby brought up, she wants love and children someday, which, once again, people's opinions can change. That's fine. Yeah. But also, um, uh, I have one page specifically written down. Um, page 49, when she talks about Cleon, and she says, friendship was there, but passion was gone. And she's specifically distinguishing between, like, in the past, I had romantic rela- feelings for Cleon that were different yeah. from my friendship feelings. Now I don't. And so to, like, say that you wrote her as rom- aromantic and asexual is just so frustrating. I mean, I, me. I do think that you can have crushes and still identify as ace or arrow or both. Mm-hmm. That's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, right, uh, people change over time. Um, and I, I I think that there is, like, I think, I think it's a, an entirely plausible reading, but I think it's also just very obvious that she didn't intend it while she was writing it. And right. I don't think that Kel counts as a canon arrow ace character. Right. No, I, I want to be very clear. Like, I don't want to, like, yeah. tell anybody else how to experience this or right. to say that, like, anything... Because, there, cause, right, there, there is no piece of text I could bring up that would prove that she's not. Like, that's not a thing you can do yeah. with people's sexuality. But the fact that, like, there's both stuff like that, and then the fact that the last page involves mm-hmm. her talking about somebody that she had a crush on. The last sentence. The last <laughs> sentence. And then try to yeah. claim, oh, but after the book's... She has a real, it's like, no. But I do, I mean, I do want to say that people learn to understand themselves better and people can, you know, earlier in their lives be like, oh, I really thought I felt that. Right. But that's a story that she didn't write in the books. Yeah, but she didn't write that in the books. Like, I'm totally fine. And yeah, if she wanted to write a sequel series where this happens, like, I would be fine with that. Yeah, But she she didn't write that series and to put it on her FAQ is just like... Why? It's, It's especially wild to me because this last paragraph has Kel saying... Uh, like, lovers, Kel thought, rolling her eyes. At least there was one headache she didn't have. Yeah. And that's like, okay, 
sure, she's not interested in romance. This is solid evidence. But then the next sentence is like, oh, then she remembered that Dom was going to be there and it would be nice to be <laughs> yeah. able to talk to him. Which, like, you could read as just like, oh, it would be nice to be able to talk to him. But that's not how you're supposed to read it. Right. No. Yeah. And, like, sure, there are a lot of ways to be Arrow. There are a lot of ways yeah, to be yeah. Ace. There are a lot of ways to be Arrow Ace. And, like, the, you know, the realm of human experience is very wide and different. And, like, yeah, I'm not saying that in... Like, I'm not saying that an Arrow Ace person can't be like this, but I don't think that this was, like, an intentionally written Arrow Ace character, which there are very few of, so it just, like, part of this is just me being very disappointed, just because I, like, have heard whisperings (laughs) in the wind of Mm -hmm. the canon Arrow Ace Kel, my friend. Yeah, I mean, and, like, on some level, I want to, like you know, I guess sort of, like, claim her as a canon ace character because, like, I love her and I, like, I do like that reading. And, um, you know, under some people's definitions of canon, word of God counts and, like, Tamara Pierce thinks she's an ace character. That's great. But, like, I, yeah, I just don't think it's in the books. And I also want to be clear that, like, while I do like Kel as an ace character, I think it's not in the books. And if you read the books and came away with, oh, I really ship Kel and Dom... Or, you know, Kellen Lalasa, whatever. If you have shipping headcanons you got from the book, that's also fine. Because there's no clear indication in the book that Kel is ace. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I do, um, I want to, like, because we're talking about authorial intent, right? And because we did make the direct comparison to J.K. Rowling. In my mind, like, we're knowing Kel in these books when she's really young. So I super buy the idea that she should go, could go on to it understand her experience differently and i kind of yeah. appreciate that tamara pierce didn't say she knew herself to be ace and a romantic during the book i just didn't mention it um like i appreciate <laughs> that it's like she learned to understand it later unlike jk rowling being like oh yeah dumbledore was totally doing gay stuff but you just didn't know about it you just knew about the implications like i, appreciate- I don't think he was doing gay stuff i think he was just being sadly gay i mean doing like, gay I stuff, he did stuff in-, in the 1940s it, which we hear about you know he was yeah. doing gay stuff like being destructively in love with a man um (laughs) um, you know like um you know i appreciate that this is told differently but like she has published short story collections published other works with Mm -hmm. Kel in them like if you really grew to understand this like i hope that authors can understand how much meaning it has to people when you say okay in the future the character has this different experience i'm gonna put that in a book like right i mean in a lot of ways this like answer in the FAQ that she's writing on her website does feel like a piece of short fiction that she's writing, you know, because she's saying, like, this is what happens to Kel. This is what she, like, learns about herself over time. Like, this is how her story goes. But she didn't feel the need to ever actually publish that. Right. And I I hope, you know, there's still time. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, if if Tamara Pierce did decide to publish a story or a book that featured Kel being asexual, that would be incredibly awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I feel, yeah, I just don't, I don't like the deciding of characters' sexualities after the fact only. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think that this, like, does play into that bad trend, uh, and just because it's not the worst possible incarnation of that, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't point out that it plays into that trend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that you can decide, like, in the like in the middle of creating an ongoing work, like, oh, this character is ace, and I'm going to write that and mm-hmm. demonstrate it. Mm-hmm. But... No. <laughs> but... <No. laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Friendship? Friendship. Friendship. Do friendship. All right, I I made a list of friends. Okay. All right. The top of so, my uh, list is Neil and Kel. I just wanted to get that out there first. Oh, yeah. Are, is it a ranked <laughs> list? <laughs> my ranking is also I don't know if it's ranked. That's just the most important friendship to me, and I wanted to say it. I love Neil and Kel so much. This isn't friendship, but I do like that Numair kisses a bird that's Dane. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Off topic because our topic is Neil and Kel, but cute. Sorry, I just wanted to say that because I wanted to get it over with. Okay. <laughs> no, I definitely. <laughs> Wait, okay, sorry, 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 sorry. Cute. Also, does Tamara Pierce just like have a thing about birds? We will delve into this in later, but. <laughs> sorry. What? Neil and Kel. Neil and Kel. Kel. No, Amy, you can't know. What? You can't know, Amy. Amy. Is this Animorphs? Animorphs. Animorphs. It's definitely about Animorphs canonically showing up in Troyton and at least one of them I also do want to point out that when Dane and Numer met, Numer was a bird. true. She has a bird thing. Anyway, moving on. What? Neil and Kel. (laughs) (laughs) Neil and Kel are such good friends. They're such good friends. And specifically, I want to highlight... The degree to which, like, Neil is so supportive of Kel as a leader, and, like, the fact that every time, you know, there's the point at the beginning when Kel is even thinking about it, and she's like, oh, Neil will be fine. And she's just, like, (laughs) so great. But then he is totally fine the entire time, and there's even a part where, like, he's freaking out, and then he realizes that, like, him freaking out would be a problem for Kel, and he's like, don't worry, I'm not gonna make problems for you. And I was just like... Neil deciding not to be dramatic for Kel. <laughs> Drama, yeah. his first love. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. But right then, also, uh, Kel seeing when, like, Neil was getting really worked up about the, um, like, the injustice, I think, of the, the way the convicts were treated. And, like, she knew that she needed to, like, pull him out of that situation so that he could, like, have feelings about it, like, in front of her and not in front of other right. people. And that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, at the end when, uh, when Wilden is like, I'm not going to punish you. And Kel is like, but sir. And then Neil covers her mouth. <laughs> the only time Neil and Wilden ever agree. Yeah. So good. Uh, I, so this isn't, this isn't, this is a friendship Neil has sort of. I like okay. that Peach Blossom only likes to bite Neil because Peach Blossom likes the sound Neil makes. <laughs> that was a great moment. Which I'm sure is a good and dramatic sound. Yeah, yeah it's definitely very dramatic. <laughs> so that's uh-huh. just how Peach Blossom shows that he loves the sounds Neil makes. <laughs> also, a Neil thing that is not, I mean, it's a relationship. It's not necessarily a friendship. I love how antagonistic Neil and Numair are. <laughs> And they're they're yeah. just like too similar to like each other, and they're just like, nope. Right, but I like that they got to like have really obscure arguments about magic yeah. that neither of them probably get to have that yeah. often. Like they're the nerd kind of friends that mostly argue. That's a kind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a kind. That's not all nerd friends, but it is some nerd yeah. friends, and I support them in their nerd antagonism. <laughs> <laughs> I also really liked there there was some good uh Raul and the King's Own friendship both yeah. uh 
they Dom Squad made a flag for Kel yeah. before she got there at her fort, which was really, really sweet. It's so sweet. And then also the king's own waited until Raul left the fort to name the fort after him. Yeah. <laughs> Both of those things were very cute. Oh, can I okay, I wanna real quick talk about Owen and how when he saw Kel coming, he almost fell off the wall waving at him. <laughs> And the the great thing is that he's not even a kid anymore. He's like a teen and he's still (laughs) so excited. He's still like that. I was so sure he was gonna die in this book and I'm so glad he didn't, just like off the off the friendship record. Off the friendship record. (laughs) Off the friendship record. No one on the record of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Like this isn't related to friendship, but like I'm really glad he didn't die even though I thought he would. Why did you think he was gonna die? Just because he was like really cute? Well, not because he was really cute, but because he like Kel- he was really like kind of Kel's protege, and he was always mm-hmm. like doing stuff Kel didn't ask him to do to help her. Yeah, he's kind of like the heart of the group, right? And this was about the horrors of war, so it kind of would have made sense. Wow, it would be so crushingly sad if Owen died. <laughs> yeah, like I thought he was going to do something that Kel asked him not to do to help Kel, and that he was going to. Oh my god, what a sad version uh, of this Amy, book! Why are you writing this sad AU? <laughs> <laughs> because that's the only AU I can write. <laughs> Heartbreaking. Um, well, friendship. Uh, we love Owen, and we're glad he didn't die. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That. Well, okay, also, like, just general shout-out to the the thing that we talked about before where all of Kel's friends, like, separately showed up once she deserted because they all, like, value Kel over being in the army, I guess. Yeah. That. But I also specifically really appreciate that when they all show up, all of her, like, knight friends are like, okay, so we're gonna go and, like, convince her to come back, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, like, Owen and Toby are like, no. no, we're gonna go and help her. And then, like, but also, they both work under the assumption, or, no, Toby, actually, I think, is like, oh, what if they stop her? But Owen is like, oh, no, once they get there, like... Clearly, they'll just end up going on this quest too. Like Owen is under like no like no illusions that they will actually successfully stop her, and no. that they'll definitely just go yeah. with her. Owen knows the deal. Oh, oh! Can I do animal friendship? Uh, before we get to animal friendship, last other friendship. Um, because you guys talked about your negative feelings about Toby and Kel, but I feel like we need to talk yeah, about the positive side positive of Toby and Kel, which Good. is just that they're adorable. And I love them. And I mentioned it earlier, but it has to go here, too. The fact that, like, Kel is so touched by Toby calling her mother. (laughs) And I'm just like, it's because you adopted him. Yeah. (laughs) Perhaps irresponsibly, but still adorably. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Family. Animal friendship. Animal yeah, we friendship. haven't gotten into there's animal friendship. Point, there's a point where one of the horses has jump and all the birds on it. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of good animals in this. I also liked, uh, like, so Owen has his horse named Happy, which so is very cute. cute. It's happy. also mentioned, yeah, and ha- the, uh, Happy, yes, I love Happy. <laughs> um, uh, also, at one point, um, it's mentioned that Neil's horse is named Mage Whisper. <laughs> Which is really goofy. <laughs> that is goofy. Also, I have written names. down next to my point about Mage Whisper, the fact that Happy's actual name or like official name uh-huh. is actually Wind Treader. <laughs> <laughs> Just some real goofy and horse name. Was like, nah, Happy. Mm-hmm. Yup. <laughs> but I also like 
like like at some point Neil was like, "Oh, I'm a mage, mage whisper." <laughs> That's a horse I name. Don't know. That's and you know a that Alana, with her habit of questionable horse naming, would have been so foreign. Yeah, like, she was definitely on board. <laughs> um, also, a great moment with Jump. Uh, apparently, when Kel got promoted to command, Jump got promoted to command. <laughs> uh-huh. There are several mo- like moments in the book where they talk about Jump like leading the 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 pack of dogs in battle, or like. There's one point where the dogs are on patrol and, like, Kel isn't sure whether Jump is, like, being approving of the patrol for, like, ignoring something they were supposed to ignore or, like, questioning why Kel would ever think they wouldn't. It's just, like, I just love that that Jump also now has a force under his command. Yes, Jump is also in charge. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. And speaking of, of animal warriors, there's the one cat, the cat. not warrior cats. It's not, this is not, <laughs> that is not a part of this discussion. But there's the cat that's like a, a gray and orange female cat who's really good. And she's with Kel in like the final battle scene. And she gets like thrown against a wall. And Kel's like really sad about it and thinks she's dead. But then she's not Ooh. dead. <laughs> I did not remember that she was not dead on yeah. this read through. And I was so sad. I was also like, ah, yeah. like, no. But it was fine. It was effective. It was but funny. she was fine. And then Kel woke up and she was curled up next so to her. Cute. Also, that part had also the mention of a fact that one of. I don't actually remember if it was one of the Scanron Towns. It must have been one of the Scanron Towns people was like a an animal healer. And I was yeah. like, hey, yeah, you should have one of those <laughs> if you have an animal fighting force. Yeah, I didn't realize that Neil couldn't heal animals. Like that that was a separate skill, except that Dane is... Yeah, yeah well, right. There's wild magic, which, which is a separate skill. It's possible that Neil could just use his regular human magic to heal animals, but he doesn't necessarily know right. how. Okay, it's a separate skill, like being a vet and being a doctor. I don't think it was... Yeah clear in the text whether or not the healer the animal healer here had wild magic yeah. or yeah um yeah i don't know that the it was gift clear. although probably the gift because we know that having animal magic to the point where you can heal animals is is rare yeah, and rare. somewhat yeah. bane level right but it does make sense that like with the you know like farming towns it makes sense that right. if you've got a couple people with the gift and you've already got a healer that someone would re- learn to heal animals too. right no yep. it's important yeah Mm-hmm. Um, Especially because they're our friends. They are our friends. Lots of good animal <laughs> That's friendship. the main reason that it's important. <laughs> Not for, like, farming reasons. Um, all right. Uh, now we're going to go into our own chamber of the ordeal and uh, rate this book. Uh, we rate on a couple of metrics. One of them is nostalgia, and one of them is animal friendship. Uh, and then we're going to talk about who we would recommend to this book to read. Who we would recommend to read this book. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you said that close enough. <laughs> I mean, it had all of the function words. It just was missing. It had all of the right words in it. I'm not sure about the order. <laughs> all right. Who wants to go first for ratings? All right. So I'm going to go first because I didn't read these books before. So instead of rating for nostalgia, I'm going to rate for number of children who were taught to fight and then were subsequently kidnapped. <laughs> so that's uh, going to be eight out of ten. Okay. Um, 
And well, then, that's far more than eight children were taught to fight and then kidnapped. Right, I'm curious, are the missing two because, like, not enough children were taught to fight and then kidnapped? Not enough of or, them? Or, like, too many. Like, what, where was the deficit exactly? <laughs> well, one was a baby. One was, like, a baby. Oh, there were some really babies learning. they couldn't yeah. be taught. Yeah, so a couple And Meech didn't even learn. Yeah, so really, yeah. it could be as low as seven, but I don't want to, like, I don't want to make that assumption. Um, <laughs> and then for animal friendship... There was a scene where a hor- where a dog rode a horse, and that's very important to me. <laughs> so I think that would get like a seven out of ten. But like, I want to make it higher because a dog rode a horse. Um, but and I would recommend it to like, I don't know, like the cool teens who want to learn about refugee camps and systems of oppression and how they <laughs> enable the worst of us to do terrible damage. <laughs> cool. Um, cool. So, um, I multiple parts of this go together which is that i did not have a lot of nostalgia for this book because i honestly think i didn't read it at like the right time (laughs) of my life to understand it i did reread part of it like a couple a little bit ago so i have not nostalgia for that but i was like interested in reading it like as a book and then a little more critically for the podcast and i do think it holds up to that so i have like pretty minimal nostalgia for it is the point uh because i don't think i i think i read it when i was too young so like uh, four out of ten for nostalgia, although I did enjoy it a lot this time, um, in some ways. Um, and then animal friendship, I agree. Great dog riding a horse. Also, genuinely, the most emotional moment for me in this reading this book was when I thought that cat died. Um, so <laughs> I would say like eight out of ten. Um, and then as to who would recommend this book, I mean, honestly, I was thinking about. Um, I feel like the early part of the Kel series is pretty middle grade, and then you need to take a break and read this book, which is kind of weird. Um, so I would—that's also the trick with Harry Potter. Yeah, I don't know how kids are supposed to deal with exactly. That. Like, I don't know how you tell kids or young readers to deal with that, but I would not recommend this to a young, young, young reader. I would recommend it to somebody who's in like late middle school or early high school, and maybe someone who can have a conversation about the book. Um, yeah, but I do think it's a good book for, uh, you know, young adults to read. I think it addresses some important topics. Yeah. Um, so I'm very much like Grace uh, in that, like, I think I read it too young the first time. Um, but I'm still going to give it like an 8 out of 10 <laughs> because the fact that it's been better for me pretty much every time I've read it. And to be fair, I have reread it a lot since then. Um semi not semi like semi continuously with an exception for most of high school um but i've read it many times and every time to some degree i like it a little better like the specifically like its choice and how it focuses the narrative um continuously improves for me and so that makes me pretty happy about it um so yeah uh eight out of ten and then on animal friendship i think uh i might go as high as a nine out of ten just for the fact that like this refugee camp has, like, just a whole ton of animals who have, like, decided to help it succeed. Like, we didn't even really stress that one. Like, Dan mm-hmm. just decides to make all of these animals smart so they can help out. And they're all like, yeah, cool, we want to help <laughs> out. Um, right. And so that that's kind of a lot of collective animal friendship. Uh, so so that's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Grace, um, this is one of those books I would recommend it to... Um, older older middle grade and up with the acknowledgement that like my mom told me to wait <laughs> until then and did i no um so like that's yeah so some kids are just gonna read it too early and so for that i'll also say i recommend this book 
as a reread for people who read it too young. Because yeah. I think there's a lot of us. Um, yeah. And it really does do well on a reread. Like, there are definitely problems that we've discussed, but it's something that benefits from that when you're older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I've reread it a lot as an adult. And um, I don't think that the... I, I think I like it much more as an adult than I did as a kid, especially in comparison to the other Kel books. Um, so I do think that makes me, you know, I like it a lot more, but in some ways I'm less nostalgic for it. Definitely the nostalgia hit me less hard than it did for, like, Squire. Um, so, yeah, I'll give it, like, a like an 8.5 out of 10 for nostalgia. And for animal friendship, I, I'm also going to give it a 9 out of 10, mostly just for the pure joy that I experienced when I realized the cat was not dead. Because <laughs> I fully forgot about that, even though I've read the, I read this book like a year and a half ago or something. Right, me uh, too. But somehow you forget. Yeah. Well, in the last book, the cat, in the last book where Cat was in the final battle, the cat did very That's much true. die. Yeah. Wow. Then, we should have talked about that into Kellen back. What's up with Faithful? Mm. Oh, he's fine. All right, Probably. Oh, he's fine. <laughs> I mean, he did die in that battle. I mean, he did die, but he's fine. Animorphs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's all fine. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I think I second everyone else that I recommend this book to cool teens. Recognize that some people are going to read it a little too young, but like, what can you do other than reread it as an adult and get a lot more out of it? Yeah, and I, I'll say, like, too, like Shelby said, if you're somebody who, um, I don't know if there are people that read along with this podcast, but if you don't generally go back to the books, like, this is one that's worth going back to. Like, you will get more out yeah. of it and you will, like, you will see more of Cal as a character, which is cool. I mean, no guarantees. I said that like it was a guarantee. I don't have control over your experience, <laughs> but I believe that you might have that experience. <laughs> I do highly recommend this book to listeners of this podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great thought. <laughs> uh, for Malice Gossip, we have this email from Naomi, uh, who says, Please, please talk about how unreasonable everything about the Toby storyline is. She's a teenager and she takes this kid out of an abusive situation, right? And then instead of, like, finding him a family or school or at least a therapist, she's like, be my (laughs) servant and follow me to war because that's totally cool when you're a commoner orphan child. Look at me. I care so much about the commoners that I take their free labor and treat them less terribly. Uh... Arg makes me want to scream every time I read these books, which is to say about once a year since they were published. Uh, So thank you, Naomi, for writing in about that. Um, That touches on a lot of the points that we brought up earlier, um, and I think that you do bring um, some some good nuance to that discussion. Yeah, I think, right, we we touched on that already. I think there's some good points in there. Um, Probably... I don't think that therapy exists in Tortal. I do think that it should exist in Tortal. Right, exactly. It's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask of a Tortolan person. If we could go back to uh, to our question at the beginning of this podcast about like what food would we invent in Tortol? <laughs> Can invent I just invent therapy, therapy instead of <laughs> that's not a food? Well, Dane did get magic therapy, mind healers. Time. Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, except that we decided that was kind of bad in the end. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was. I think that it was. Yeah. What bad. if they just did like talk therapy? Nothing stopping them. Yeah. What happened to CBT? Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm all for it. Abby, find a recipe and bring it with you. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think that if there was therapy in Tortal, Tobe would not be the only one who uh, could use some of it. 
Really, anyone could use therapy if there's things it's that true. you feel you need to talk about that you don't get a chance to explore yeah. in your everyday life. Also, yeah, like, all of these refugees have had a lot of trauma. Yeah, and deserve a place to talk about that with a third party, a neutral party of sorts, <laughs> if only there were some way. Definitely. Total Recall is pro-wearing helmets and doing therapy. <laughs> those are our strong controversial stances Uh, yeah so thank you naomi for writing in uh and giving us those great thoughts yeah it's also true we didn't really talk about the fact that like kel does pay lalasa and i don't think she's paying no uh she should pay people paying people for labor is great yeah love to get paid for labor Yeah, yeah but you also know like it like it's also it's definitely not addressed in the narrative and probably should be however if Kel doesn't set up, like, a trust fund for Toby, yeah. like, she right. definitely is doing right. that. Like, Right, right. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't relevant to Kel's journey, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really wasn't. <sighs> All right. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much to Naomi for sending that in. We love to hear from listeners and the ways that you can get in touch with us are uh, through our Twitter, which is at Tordal Recall, our email, which is tordalrecall at gmail.com, and also our Tumblr, which is tordallrecall.tumblr.com. You've probably heard us mention that Tumblr is not a great way to get in touch with us. Um, you still can, though. But like, you still, if, you can try. If that's yeah. what you've got, you can do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, another thing we wanted to mention is that it's really helpful for us uh, if you review our podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast listening service you use. Do all of them do reviews? Oh, some of them All do of reviews. Them. Like, Stitcher does reviews. I don't know. Okay, we love reviews. We have a review Not on Stitcher. Not that I use Stitcher. <laughs> I just know that we have, like, a review on Stitcher. <laughs> um, and also, thank you to the people who have already left reviews or uh, interacted with us on Tumblr and Twitter. I don't think we have a list of your names. We might do that again in the future. We I don't will. know. But thank you for everyone to, to everyone who's interacted with us. Uh, we love to hear from you. Um and also, thank you to our music, which is Green Sleeves by Zeta, and you can find it on SoundCloud. Um, that's a podcast. Who wants to say the sign-off? That's podcast. That's podcast. <laughs> our, our new <laughs> sign-off. Our, our new sign-off. <laughs> okay, I can do out. it again. Like, I can do it again. I feel I like that. you should get to do it whenever you're on, Amy. Yeah. Yeah, because then that way no one else has to. <laughs> this is a yeah, it really brought this you. on to us. Yeah. Hey, see ya, tortellini. <laughs>